Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Grief fundamentally changes who we are and how we see the world. It's painful and heartbreaking, but also transformative and magical. This podcast is about grief and loss, but more importantly, it's about life and living fearlessly. I'm Kelsey Chittick, and welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Grieve. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. We have a really amazing guest today. I don't know how I got so lucky to be able to introduce this person, but today we have Tembi Locke. And I am so glad to have you on this because we talked about this just a second ago, but you know, people that are listening to this have are grieving, have experienced terrible grief, or in different, you know, time lapses of where they are in this experience. But to talk to you and see your joyous face and to see someone who has walked through the fire and come out and created a life that is exceptional, not not in spite of, but because of everything you've been through is is an honor. So thank you for being here. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. And I, I, I completely understand if you had met me, you know, five years ago, six years ago, three years ago, I mean, you know, it would have, we would have had a different conversation. So because it's an ongoing, unfolding, constantly changing, evolving development and relationship to your grief. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking. Well, good. Let me tell everybody a little bit about her if you don't know. Timby is a New York Times bestselling author. Her memoir, From Scratch, which was a Reese Book Club pick, a winner of many awards, and has also been turned into a Netflix series. She's doing the thing. She's an actor, a producer, a screenwriter, mother, and from what I see as I stalk you on social media, a newly married woman. God, give me hope, sister. God, somebody get me, get me, get me back in the game. The widowhood is getting on my last nerve. But anyway, so I am just excited to have you. Your energy is amazing. I love seeing what you were talking about. So tell us a little bit about your journey starting kind of at the beginning, if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, I will, you know, so my journey to being the person I am today, right, with all that lived experience, be really, I would say, the the, the sort of turning point was a diagnosis. So my late husband, Sato, who was an Italian chef, we'd fallen in love, we'd married, we'd have all the things, which, you know, if you want to know more about that, you can like read my book, right? But I want to drill more specifically into where we are today with things. So anyway, he was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. And I was 31 years old and I became a caregiver instantly. He stopped working. We, you know, I'm an actress here in LA. He was a chef. And suddenly our lives just turned upside down. And 
back then I didn't have language or experience. I, I didn't have context for what, where I was in my life. I was 31 years old and I was like, we'd been married like five years or so. We didn't have kids. I was like, oh, we got plenty of time for everything. And suddenly like, you know, okay. And, and then the not working was a big change. And so I became his caregiver and he was in and out of critical care and treatment for a decade. And so for a decade, I was his caregiver. And during that decade, we became parents, right? We adopted our daughter during a beautiful time when he was in remission and things felt super optimistic and all the things, right? And so my story is about when something that is life-altering happens, having to figure out how to be present for that experience, how to show up both for someone else, but also show up for yourself inside of your own life, which looks radically different from what you ever expected. And that was a journey. And I spent 10 years doing that before I was a widow. And I think that's a really important distinction to make because I came to widowhood having had 10 hard years of asking myself, how can I hold on to me while I'm also showing up for him and for my daughter? And I had a lot of anticipatory grief, which I didn't have a name for at the time. And so I had kind of found some skills, some tools, some things that helped me stay connected to Tembi, right? Yeah. While I'm wife and mother and caregiver and nurse and sole breadwinner in the house, right? All the things. Mm-hmm. And so that when Sado passed away, and now I am a young widow with a small child. My daughter was seven. I came to the table already exhausted because I'd been yeah. 10 years as a caregiver, yeah. <laughs> right? And so at the beginning, I felt completely lost. And I will say my grief was very, and I write about this very openly. It was, it was, I, I used the adjective feral. It was, I was a feral animal. I didn't understand the world. I will say many days, I didn't like the world. I didn't understand people. I didn't understand my own life. Up was down, down, left was right. Everything was disoriented. And it was a long way and many years and lots of things that I'm sure we're going to talk about today (laughs) to get to a place that I felt I had even just a tiny bit of equilibrium. Like that was, it was hard fought. It was hard won equilibrium, equilibrium, right? It was not like, boom. And I will say, I remember being newly newly widowed and thinking, and I and I, I have people who are widowed who were widowed in my life, but they were much older. And suddenly, and they'd been in my life for a long time. And suddenly I saw them all in a, in a with a fresh lens. And I was like, how the hell have they done this? And how have they done it and raised children? And how have they done it and like gone on to still like be present in the world and have a career and be, have a smile on their face. I couldn't literally cognitively understand how you rebuilt your life. And I guess I was always asking myself that question, like, how do people do this? How do women and men do this? How do humans, how do humans go forward? Right. And that kind of became eventually something that I explored on the page with writing, right? I, that was what I, I did. And eventually it, it became the impetus to write a book. 
I love it. It's interesting what you say. I think most people in your situation was different because you care took so long. So you were waiting for the you were waiting for it. You know, I always I, I'm always able to talk to widows who had someone die suddenly because that's my experience. You, it's funny. Death is very specific. Like, I don't know what it feels like to be you. And if you if you have sudden death, you don't know the, the other side. Like, but I remember that no matter what, when the person's gone, you feel like you're on another effing planet. You're like, where the hell did I just land? And I think it's important that people understand that when we look crazy for a long time, we are. Like, it is like floating in a different solar system. And you walk outside and, and people are taking their kids to school and you hate everyone. You just despise everybody that has a live husbands. Well, he, I thank you for saying that. And I laugh. And the reason why I laugh is because I feel we can do maybe many of the listeners right now, someone is listening right now, and we do them a, a service by, by saying that's an okay feeling. That's a normal feeling. I would say to my friends, I thought, I was like, today is a day that everyone has horns like everyone has horns and like, you know, and I can't stand human. I, and, and it was, I had to, I had to be able to say that to yes. Susan. That's where I am in the world today. I know it's not, you know, I hope it's not going to be that way forever. Maybe I'll feel that way by five. I'll feel differently by 5 PM. But for right now, I like, hate you. I'm, a, I'm a little surly <laughs> with everyone in the world. Yes. And I had never been that person. I was always like, you know, okay. You know, I, I call myself like you know, sort of a, you know, I, I you know, a pessimist with optimistic tendencies. <laughs> so I'm, you know, sort of like I was always like, I don't know about things, but you know, the sunny side. And I was, and but suddenly it was like it was really hard for me to connect to any sense of optimism. Everything felt like it was going to be a hard labor, a hard emotional labor, hard mental lab- labor, their physical everything on every plane was challenging. Getting out of bed was challenging. Preparing a meal was challenging. Getting my kid to school was challenging. Figuring out how to fund, you know, refinance a house was challenging, right? All the things suddenly were, and they were all filtered through the prism of deep, deep hurt. And the fact that you felt that your beloved, right? Who maybe even if they weren't the person who dropped the kids off at school, Right. So you at least could come home and like, you know, kvetch with them or talk to them or like, you know, you, you, you know, yeah. You know. Yeah. No, I, and I think, you know, nobody wants to have a dead husband or a dead dad. It just isn't on your vision board that you put with Oprah. You know, you just were like, that wasn't up there. I didn't, I, that didn't sound fun. And I remember needing to really just despise my spot on earth. Like I got mm-hmm. screwed. You know, I just needed to feel that because I think, What I realized about grief, and this might be your experience when you say like everything was hard, grief is very physical. So if you're in the beginning of grief, you feel like you're dying. And I kind of believe, and I wonder what you think, that you do die. That version of you dies the day that that person dies. Because the the whole structure of what you believed your life was going to be and who you were in relation to that person changes. And so it's a death, not only of the person you lost, but of you, of the version of you that was a married woman with a husband and a father to your child. So it's not just the grief of the person dying that blows your mind. It's that you no longer know where you stand in this new universe. So can you tell us, and and as a mother too, and I love that you brought up the financial thing, because I really do think if this was a PSA, every woman find out about everything. 
Not only that, I'm get insurance, do everything. I say nothing, right? If I, if you listen, if you turn off this podcast right now, but don't, don't do that. But (laughs) what I want you to know is right now, make sure you have a life insurance policy. Amen, sister. And that's the thing I say like all the time, all the time, all the time. Don't eat out for dinner, whatever it costs you to have something because you cannot grieve and be broke because you, you won't ever, you'll just have to go into just trauma mode forever. So that is important. I don't think we tell women that enough. And by the way, it's the men that are dying mostly. Men also marry like the next week. They're they're (laughs) like, I can't do this. I just found my neighbor. You know, (laughs) like you're like, wow, that guy, he just got remarried an hour ago. That's interesting. You know, you're killing me with the, with, with the comedy. And I, 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 yes, I I understand what you're saying. And we're like, hold on a minute. We're never doing that again. Cause A, I'm never going to hurt like that again. I'll never find someone that great again. And we also, we dig in with women and women help women. I don't think men have the help. I mean, yeah, pe- no, that is absolutely people true. show but up I, for us. Yeah. And I want to circle back to what you said about sort of the law, the grief of your own identity, because that mm-hmm. is huge and we cannot underestimate that. And we could talk for a whole hour about that. Right. But the other thing is in addition to grieving who you were and the life you had, you also now thrust onto the stage with a new identity, widow. And what I mean by that is suddenly that means, oh, and I don't mean just in the literal sense of she's an unpartnered woman in the world. I don't mean that, right? I have many friends who have never been married. Like I, you know, it's not about sort of that, like I needed the man or the partner to, it's the fact that suddenly you were in a partnership with another human. All of your social systems were predicated upon you You as a partner and a couple did this with this couple. And suddenly all of that shifts. And also people close to you are also sometimes, and I found they were afraid of my grief. They were afraid of the the bigness of this experience. And it became harder for them over time to reach out sometimes to have this. So suddenly what it means to have this new identity as a widow, it what it means is that my friend groups had to change. <laughs> and that's a sudden like, and you know one, you can't quite be prepared for that. And so what someone very wise to me said is, look, Some people are going to be along with you for this journey. Some people won't. Some people may fall off for a while and come back later. And it just helped me to have that perspective because as I was changing and shifting and trying to understand my own life, it felt an extra grief to suddenly have my social systems completely upended. I love that you bring that up because I don't think we talk about the world of marriage in, in our society is very, and especially when you're raising children, it is a world of couples. And for those of us who valued our friendships, especially when you're raising young children in Silver Lake or where I live in the South Bay, there's a lot of barbecues and things. And when you become a widow, you're missing an arm, but you're going to a party where you need two arms, it feels like, you know, and you're so sad that you're not really fun anymore. So now you're missing something and you're a downer. You know, you have one cocktail and you're bawling and you're like, oops, sorry, there I go again. But I do love what you said, because I do think one of the gifts of grief are the people you meet through your grief that change your life forever, because they are kind of, we always talk about like, I have all my friends, but I I love, I love a widow. 
because we get it and we can say the things and dead people, people that have dead people are my people now because they get it and we can have these conversations. So let's talk about two things that are super important that you mentioned. I think it's also important when you're going through grief that you don't just, that you realize that it is, it is, it's an athletic event. It's a physical experience. You know, that the trauma is in your body. We think it's in our head, but it really isn't. Our thoughts come and go just like they always do. What spiritual practices, because I think for me, writing helped, but the spiritual practices that I began to say, like, these are non-negotiable, whether it be shaking or meditation or walking like a nutcase, you know, reading, whatever it was, what saved you? And then I want to talk about your relationship with your daughter and how we walk these children through this stuff, because I think that's really important. Well, I will say thank you, first of all, for really drilling down deep into sort of what, you know, one might say the umbrella is self-care. But when you talk about the, we cannot underestimate the attention that needs to be given to the to your physical body. And I will say very openly and honestly that initially for me, when you talk about that sense of you feel like you're dying, I actually did feel like I was dying. And I have the doctor's receipts. <laughs> <laughs> to prove that meaning because I had also spent 10 years in and out of an oncologist's office. So that was a world that was very familiar to me and not by choice, but, you know, at ERs, hospitals. And suddenly when that was gone and I felt so tired and it was, I thought, what, what, what is it? I didn't know that the fatigue was grief initially. I just thought, I'm so tired. I, I shouldn't be this tired. And so I thought, oh, well, must be my turn to have cancer now. Let me go get this checked out. Oh, I must have this. Oh, I must have that. And so, you know, my lovely sister who's one of my, you know, dear friends. And she was like, I will go with you to as many doctor's appointments as you need me to go to with you. And I will accompany you because I hope one day you will understand that you are healthy, you are strong and you are fine. And eventually I got there. So, but along the way I had to learn, I need sleep. I have to hydrate. I do need to move my body. And what I mean by that is in a lot of ways, you need to move that root chakra, right? So that is like your hips, your lower spine, your sacrum, all of those things. You've got to get literally the synovial fluid going from your spine up to your brain because it's going to help everything. So if that is just buy a friggin' hula hoop and just hula hoop in your house, if it is taking a walk, if it's yoga, if it's jumping, whatever the jumping jacks, whatever the thing is, one, you need the endorphins. They're going to help you sleep better. So those are some of the physical things you can do. I carved out for myself what I call meditations. So I'm not like- Me too. I, Me too. I, do I, I can't sit up. I got to lay down. Okay. Everyone's like, sit up. Like, I'm not sitting up. No. And, and the main thing was, it was about resetting my nervous system. So I will say if, if, you know, and some, some listeners may sort of glean this already, the end result of 10 years of critical caregiving meant that my nervous system was hijacked. So I had to really do a lot of reset, right? Escort my body back to, I keep using that word equilibrium, you know, and so that I didn't feel like my heart was racing all the time because my dear friend, Claire Bidwell-Smith, who's an author, has written a wonderful book, which is, you know, The Missing Stage of Grief, which is anxiety. So a lot of anxiety is coupled with deep 
grief. So what you need to do is calm the body. Calm. It's, it's not just anxiety in your mind. I actually somatize and physicalize that anxiety. And so walking, resting, hydrating. I did try twice a month to do something social with a friend, even if I didn't want to on the day, right? And then give yourself permission. Crying is a physical act and it is a release. It is cathartic. So if you're having a hard time crying, and I've heard from many widows who say, you know, like almost the emotion gets stuck and it's like trapped and nothing is, and you just feel tense. So here's a little grief hack for any listener. Find all your favorite sad songs, make a playlist, get all your favorite sad movies, sit home one day, get the ice cream, get the popcorn, get the wine, whatever your thing is and sit because what happens, and I know because I work in the film and television industry, (laughs) what you, by watching characters go through this experience, it gives you permission to have your own emotion. And so it doesn't matter if you're watching that. a movie that's about someone else's life, but if, if the cry happens, it's truly, it's, a, it's an unburdening. So give yourself, have your, as someone very wise said, have your pity party. Yeah. Sometimes I would do a Sunday afternoon. I'd be like, I don't want to, I'm not answering my phone. I am closing the curtains. And I'm saying this was year one, year two, sometimes even into year three. Right. And I would just be like, okay, I need to do this. And that might happen once every six months. You know, sometimes, sometimes it was earlier. It might've been once a week, you know, but as time goes on, so give yourself that permission, that comfort. And then after you have that good cry, go take a walk. Yes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You know what's interesting too when you say that, and I, it's in the beginning the crying is so scary, and now I welcome it. You know what I mean? When you have that well of emotion where you hear that song that they played or that reminds you of that year or that they said something about or you, there is this honoring that the crying does now that I used to be so afraid of the, of the crying. Now it's like, you, what, as, as grief goes on, you learn to modulate it and you go, oh, like here comes that wave and you ride it, but it's not that wave that you're like, it's gonna kill me. It's now it's like, what a freaking beautiful wave because I loved and it transforms. And so learning to, I love that idea of watching a movie or listening to the music to help yeah. people move it out. Move it out. You're afraid of it in the out. beginning. Yes, exactly. So don't cry about your own grief. Cry about, you know, whatever movie you do. I lo- like watch Dirty Dancing. God, poor baby. She went through a lot. There's a lot. And I watched Ghost. <gasps> of course of she did. Over and over and over again. I was just like, you know, I was like, okay. And I, yeah. Ghost was not like, a top of mind, like top movie that I thought was like the pottery, amazing. the pottery Cinema. wheel. But it, because what it is, is she's grieving 
And I would see it. And by the way, that physicality of that pottery wheel is very important. Loved it. And so, and and so I'm gonna pick up on another word you mentioned early, which was ritual. So, and and now let's talk about ghosts. That making the potter, making that pot ceramics became a ritual. It became an a, a way that that character could express her grief, could get lost in the memories, the emotion, and it was a contained physical experience that you find something like that for yourself. For some people, it is. I remember meeting this gentleman who was a widow. He's not one of the ones who went and married an hour later. <laughs> We're not but judging he, you if you did, but... Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, he, he really honored his grief, but for him, it was all about working on a car. And he wanted to work on his wife's car. Even though she wasn't here, he still, like, he would, it was a... But she liked it, and he thought... And it was a way for him to feel, one, connected to her, two, get him out in the sunlight physically, get his hands moving, you know, sort of, and it and it became, you know, those are called, it, it, there's a term for it, it's called instrumental grieving. So you okay. want to find an instrument to express your grief. So instrumental grieving can look like starting a foundation. It can look like doing a fun run in honor of the person you love. Instrumental grieving can be like baking and donating it to your church. It's in honor of your beloved. It can be working on a car. It can be making ceramics. It does. It can be gardening. There's a myriad of things, but that activity becomes an instrument to move through some of the grief. And so if you think of, if you find that for yourself, you know, calendar it. Say, I'm going to do that once a month. Yeah. And so then it's just kind of, you made a contract with yourself that said, that's my grief time. That's the time when I, I shut the world out and I just do this thing because I feel connected to my loved one. And maybe it serves other people. Maybe it's just because it feels good and I play music and I do it. Yeah, I think that's really important too because, and we'll talk about your daughter. My kids were nine and 12 and my husband died in front of them. But I remember thinking, I, I, I might be able to save myself, but I don't know how to do this with my daughter. But I love, I, and I don't know if this was your experience, but early on, I really wanted them to know it was okay to cry. So I cried a lot. And it realized, my kids were like, we don't want a crying mom. And I was like, but wait, I have to tell you, I'm honoring your father. Like, we have to get it out. And at some point, maybe a year into it, they were like, we don't feel safe when you're sobbing. So what you talk about with rituals for mothers or, or, or widows or whoever that has kids, you know, what I realized is it's a little counterintuitive. The kids want you to be okay. Uh, absolutely. So grieving for a parent that is raising a child through grief really is something where you have to schedule your time because they want you to come home and they want to know you're okay. I didn't you get that the first year. Yeah. No. And, 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 and luckily I had, I had people in my life who sort of had planted that message for me. So I, so I had a different experience, right? So I was, but, but for me, it was like, I was so hyper-focused on having to be so present for her. Right. (laughs) And so like, even for her, because I knew she was unmoored, right? And she was out in the world at preschool and, you know, in, in second grade or whatever at school. And she, I didn't know what she was experiencing at school. So when she came home, I wanted to be like this even balanced mom. Nothing to see kid. here. You know, but I would let her cry. We would talk right. at night and we would cry at night, but I was really, I tried to keep all like the trains running on time. So I was like the meals the same time. And that was a lot of hard emotional labor because I didn't have the energy to do it. And I didn't want to do it. Frankly, I didn't want to do it. God, food is so, ugh. ugh. So for me, having the ritual time for myself allowed, gave me 
a better chance at being able to show up for her. It's brilliant. So when she would go to school, I had my ritual time. And, you know, and by the way, I had my ritual time because, and I will say the words again, life insurance, life insurance. Amen. Again, life insurance allowed me to take, you know, especially in those, in that early first six months when I couldn't tell up from down and I wasn't working as an actor. And I, you know, suddenly I was like, okay, she can go to school. That's she's, she's going to be safe for those six hours. There are all kinds of adults who have eyes on her and they understand this. They know what has happened. They know to email me if something is, 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 if she's, you know, if something happens, but she's safe. So for those six hours, that's, that's 10 B time. I love it. And it might look like taking a long bath. That's another great ritual. I water. agree. Water, 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 water. water. Get in water. Warm water can heal you. Yeah. That's so true. It's so true. So, but the parenting is parenting a grieving child for me and my daughter was seven and I only have one, right? So I had one temperament person to sort of tend to. You had two children and children, as we all know with our kids, they can have different temperaments and the different developmental stages. And so she was, I could just track her one little seven-year-old, you know, experience, which I I don't know. I would have spun out if I had two kids, quite frankly. No, you wouldn't. Are you kidding me? I'm telling you right now, you would have been fine with four. Oh my gosh. It would have been great. But you, but no, I mean, every, it's amazing what everybody does, but you, I, you also had a different, you had a, a 10 years of grieving. Yes. To and shepherd she, her. Yeah. And and what we had, what we did was we also, I did rituals with her. So that's the other thing that I will, would strongly encourage. For example, we would have conversations. So he was a chef. So we did a lot of cooking together and we would cook and I'd be like, oh, and that was a way that we could be in the kitchen, which was his space. We could do something together. At the end of it, there was a meal. And then we might sit in front and we watched a lot of top chef. Don't ask me why that was like a thing. Like she just wanted to sit on the makes sense to me. It for her, it made sense for me. I hated every minute of it because it was like watching my, it was my watching the life, the, the life that got taken away from my husband, but for her, it was comforting. Yeah. So as a mom, I would sit there and I would just, you know, like zone out and pretend like I was actually watching when I was thinking about a thousand other things, but that ritual of sitting together on the couch and having a shared experience, even though we were inside of that experience, we were having two different experiences <laughs> because we're different people and we're grieving different, the same different, person, but right. different relationships. I'm grieving a husband. She's grieving a, a father. And those are different experiences. Yeah. But anytime you can conjoin and try to meet up in real time and space and sort yeah. of honor your person, it's a good thing. I love that. When would you say you, you found your feet again. I'm, I'm almost five years. And I, 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 honest to God, three months ago, I was like, oh my God, I think I'm back. It's the same for me. I'm it was almost, and I'm years. like, I think I it might make five it. Years. Five years. Interesting. Yeah. It was, it was five years. And, and when I will say, I mean, it, it really, by about the third year and a half, like at the three and a half year mark, I felt like, okay, okay. Something's different here. I feel like I've had three, you know, Dark sun cycles. Yes. <laughs> I've had three, three sun cycles. <laughs> three dark sun cycles. <laughs> you know exactly of of this, and I know enough. You know, okay, I, I've got my a little bit of my balance enough to know I can feel it when it's coming. I've had three birthdays. I've had three anniversaries. Three I've Christmases. Had, you know, three three Christmases. I was like, okay, I kind of can see the thing. So three and a half was like a a, a a nice, nice, but it was a turning point a little yeah. bit in the year four. I became more curious about what do I want from my life? Yes. That was year four. It was like, oh, okay, now 
what do I, and year five was like right around the fifth anniversary. I started thinking, oh, oh, five felt like, oh, it's five years is like, oh, there's going to be more time. Oh, sh-. it was like, oh, you can cast, oh, okay. cast on this. <laughs> time's going to keep marching on and I'm going to eventually have more years without him than I had with him. And that was a clarifying moment. That for me was like, then if that is the case, I want to honor and, and fulfill all the dreams he would have for me. And that is when I feel like we went into like what I call the next stage of our marriage, because I feel like I'm still married to him. <laughs> I, I have the mean? best husband because he listens to me all the time. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah. And so I was just like, okay, you aren't here, but you are here. Yes. And here's some things that we both dreamed for me, for our daughter. I have chills. Help me manifest those things, you know, oh. and when, you know, and not like, and then when I say things, it means just like smiles. It means like, mm-hmm. you know, like we have a sense of joy in life. Yeah. You know, it was like, let me let, like, it's almost like it's okay to have those things. So year five was a big turning point. And that's the year I decided to write the book. It's, it's, it's so, it's amazing. Cause I do think, you know, we're blown away by death, but I always talk, it's like, we're, we don't get blown away by birth, but we just can't believe people die. And it's its own, you know, birth is its own death. You're when you, before you're a mother and then you're not, a, and then all of a sudden you're not a mother and now you have a kid. And it happens like that, no matter how you get the kid. It's one day you aren't, one day you are. Yep. And death is like that too. One day they're here, one day they're gone. We put bad on death, which I would love to, you know, explore that someday, but I don't know that it's bad. And I love that we find them again. It's in a different realm, in a different way. Yes. It is the most peaceful relationship you'll ever have is with the dead person that you're connected with. It's, it's beautiful. It's it an is, honor. It's an honor. It's an honor. And, and literally there are days when I will feel the sun on my skin in a certain way, mm-hmm. a breeze, you know, there's a scent in the air and I feel so grateful to be alive. Oh my and I feel like I am in harmony with all that is and ever was and ever will be. And that he is a part of that discussion and he is in that sunlight and he is in that breeze and he is in that scent. And that is a gift. And when those moments happen, I feel elated and alive and I'm not separate from him. Yeah. And I think if, if people, if you need hope, I promise you, if you do the good and hard work of grief and you do the work and you process through and you feel it all, there will come a day when you cannot believe how lucky you were to have loved that person and have gone through this transformation, this pain, because you are now so much stronger, so much braver so much more excited about this life. And actually for the first time, I'm not afraid of dying. I mean, I was, I was really after same with you and I got a little bit sick myself just from the stress of the grief. And my body was like, nope, you know, you've got to take care of yourself. But I now am really just so damn grateful to be alive way more than I was when, before he died, when I was just trying to like live the perfect life and have the kid. Now I'm like, I'm here for it. I'm here for the whole thing. I'm here I'm, for all of it. I'm here for it. I'm ready for it. I've got, I've got faith that we can handle things and that this thing is so exceptional. And it sounds like your husband and most people, you, you, we lose these good men and all they want is for us to have this exceptional life. That's all they ever wanted. And I feel like they probably, and your husband, that they feel bad that we, they, I can feel them being like, sorry, it hurts so much, but yes. you had to do this. We had to go. Yeah. It was our time. 
and it's you're up. And so we have this you're like, up. You're, you're, That's up. It. You're, you're up, you're up, you're up. And with this one precious life, how do you want to engage it, live it, fulfill? And that's the thing. And I will say around year five also was a turn. So my daughter would have been a preteen. I knew she was headed into her teen years. And I was like, what am I modeling for her? Yeah. Meaning how, how I want, and as a mom of a daughter, like I want her to know she's going to have obstacles, challenges, losses in her life. Yeah. I want her to be able to honor those, honor her feelings. And I also want her to be able to, stand up again, leg shaking, trembling, but she stands and says, okay, okay, I'll take that one trepidatious step and see what happens. And if she sees me do that, maybe she will be more inclined to do that for herself when her time is up. Right. Because she's going to have, we're all going to have, you know, I gave a TED talk about this and it's, I call it the 40 steps. We're all going to have our 40 steps. And, you know, and when you have those 40 steps and the 40 steps in the thing is a metaphor for the 40 steps I took from my bedroom to the room where my husband was dying. And in those 40 steps, my life changed. And we all are going to walk these 40 steps in life when your life will change. Mm -hmm. And you need to take all the time you need. This doesn't, there's no rushing here. There is no, like, you don't get, there's no prize at the end for like doing it the best and the quickest. Take your time, get your therapeutic people in place, get the loved ones, get the friends, get the tribe who will care for you as you take your time through this. But the goal is at the end of doing that, which you said, hard and beautiful work of grief, you will have more of who you are. You will have more capacity. You will be braver. And we are here to say that. I mean, we are living examples of this. And I remember being in year one and seeing people who were 10 years out and I thought they were unicorns. I was like, who are those humans? Like, Mm -hmm. what, do they have a cape somewhere? Do they have like, what, how did someone ever, when I couldn't get out of bed, how do you do that for 10 years? Because I thought it would be the same feeling for 10 straight years. And what we're talking about today is that it changes. It doesn't change rapidly. It doesn't change quickly but it does change incrementally with grace, with love, with patience, with a lot of tears, with some joys, laugh. It's okay to laugh. And it's, it's okay important. To laugh again for laughing. Yeah. It's important to do both as big and loud as, as you can. You're brilliant. You get I it. I love chatting with you so much. You're, you're, you you so get much. it. It's yeah. so cool. It's so cool. And I still do it. I'm, you know, with the, the book brought up new griefs. Yeah. Making the series about the book brought up new griefs. But the thing about it is, is I know I can have the depths of those feelings, the depths of those feelings. And also, I know I will breathe again. Yeah. Joy and space. So I can hold it in a different place. Because, yeah. you know, it's, you never stop missing. You never, you don't want to. I don't want, don't want to. And, and now you don't want to because you're like, oh, that's what gives me my superpower. You know, and just real quick. So you're newly married and just tell me what new love and then we'll end because we could go for hours and maybe we'll have to do another one. And I tell me what it's like to fall in love again and know that you got two soulmates. Oh my gosh. I was telling someone the other day, I feel like I don't know how this happened. In a, in, a, in a lifetime. Well, you deserve I it. Don't, I don't. You did the work. I don't know. And they said, you know what they said back to me? They said, if you, for people who have known love and their heart 
know how to never, they're imprinted with it. Mm -hmm. And that it is not uncommon and often common (laughs) that they will, their heart will do that again because they know. And and in a way, I feel that is my experience. And I love more, I love as I did before. And I love with even greater capacity. And by the way, my husband is a topic of converse. My late husband is a topic of conversation with my new husband frequently. And the heart is a very big and gracious, loving, expansive place. And you don't have to move on or you know, push one to the side for the other. This is not a zero sum game. This is not an either or. This is a yes and. Yes, I loved deeply and I also am loving again. That's it. I mean, just close it. What a what a podcast right there, people. God, I love that. I love that. From scratch, tell me the tagline behind the book because I don't have it in oh, front yes. of me. Yeah, no, the no, whole no. thing. Yes, so it's it's from scratch, a store, a memoir of love, Sicily and finding home. So if you like Sicily, if you like travel, Italy, food, this is the book for you. Perfect. And is it on Netflix right now? No, it drops on Netflix October 21st. Okay. So you can read the book now if you want. Read ahead of time. Yes. uh, Or or the audio book. And the series comes out um, next month. Look at what you've done. Look at you go. Thank you. Listen, it's important that people see this because there is... Not just there's not just surviving, but there is some great joy on the other side of things. So keep the faith, keep doing the work, and just just dream big. That the person dream that big. Dream, dream big, big. why not? Dream you, big, why not? Because I thought the worst thing in the world has happened to me already. One hundred percent. I was like, the worst thing in the world has happened. So I really got nothing to lose. So yes. I'm going to swing for the fences. And that's the gift of grief. Once you've gone to the depths. There's nowhere to go but up. And man, is it a fun ride once you get past year. Obviously, we've decided year five. Year five. <laughs> Thank you, Timby. I appreciate it so much. This we we, we need to have you pleasure. again. Oh my gosh, such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this podcast. It's a great service to so many. Thank you. All right, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep going. It gets better. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.